All right, Howlers, let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Don't forget to follow us, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at howlerpod.com. Don't forget also to rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, I'm going to hit you with a rail slug and you're going to get exploded in half and your intestines are going to bubble out of the bottom half of your pulse armor. Intense. It'll be gross and messy. And now, Howler Pod. The sound that has plagued my dreams from the Palatine to the belt finds me in the desert waste. The sound could only come from a legion escorting the Reaper, the Howling Wolves. Hello, Howlers. Welcome to Howler Pod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Ow, ow. I am your host, Ben Reinert, joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. Last week, we talked about Dark Age chapters 6 through 11. What are we talking about today, Aaron? Dark Age chapters 12 to 17, which is the end of part one. Mm. Let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into our chapter summaries. Hopefully, we don't shit all suits. Or get chopped in half and have our intestines spill out. Or just, you know, catch a railgun slug. You know, hopefully we survive (laughs) this week. Chapter 12, Lysander, White Golems. Lysander has been fighting on the ground with Ajax, Kalandora, and Serafina. Ajax is being a dick, per usual. Serafina is loving every minute of war. Lysander is already weary of it. While waiting for the waves of transports to land, a cohort of greys descend in their starshells to bend a knee to the air. Much to Lysander's surprise, the thousand ex-Praetorian dragoons led by Roan T. Flavinius were summoned by Calidora and released from service by Julia Abalona as a peace offering. This looks very bad for Lysander and his I-don't-want-to-be-king stance that he's trying to uphold. Uh, soon after the first storm hits... Lysander is the only one who knows it's coming from a storm god. Uh, Ajax still wants to push for Heliopolis, but the smart people in the group know that the storm god needs to be put down before they can take the city. Ajax concedes, and Lysander, Serafina, Kalandora, and the Dragoon Legion are tasked with destroying the storm god. Chapter 13, Darrow, Plains of Caduceus. Darrow is heading for Tyche with 5,000 Drakenjaegers carrying star shells through the storm. They approach four legions of enemy soldiers who are disoriented by the storm. They mow through their ranks using the Drakenjaegers and their ion swords, which sounds pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Reminded me, have you seen Pacific Rim? That's all I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or like any of the Transformer movies, (laughs) but like the good ones. (laughs) There's good ones. I like the first one. <laughs> Shut up. I like Baby Shia. Whatever. The I was en- a Shia LaBeouf fan. I like the first one. I'll give you that. Did you know that? I was really into that sidebar, one. Sidebar. Did you know that filming a scene for that movie, he was actually like in a motorcycle crash? 
filming and lost like his pinky finger and maybe his ring finger. And they rebuilt his fingers out of flesh from his ass. Whoa. So that it looks like he has a whole hand. That's pretty weird. Pretty cool. He's got <laughs> ass fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the book. The enemy golds are rallying to their 60 meter tall four legged titan. Darrow, Alex, and a hundred of his kin drive toward the army. Alex and Darrow climb the Titan and kill the pilot, who is Scorpio Avodum. He's dead now. Darrow and his army then push forward to Tyche. Chapter 14, Lysander into the storm. Lysander moves toward the eye of the storm with his 1,000 Praetorians, Kalindora and Serafina. They fight through the storm, tied together by a rope. They come upon Cicero Avotum and some of his men. Lysander diffuses the almost fight by revealing who he is and striking a deal with Cicero that House Votum should keep control of Heliopolis. Uh, they move forward toward the storm god together. Upon reaching it, Serafina is shot in half by a rail slug. Intestine soup. We're not sad about it. You know, I, re- <laughs> I really am not. Couldn't care less. <laughs> I remember being extremely shocked the first time that happened. And this time I was looking forward to it. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's just like keep Diomedes as the only child yes. and erase the other ones from history. Yeah. Why does every other raw suck except for Romulus and Diomedes? Because the rim is a tough place to grow up. <laughs> it's hard to stay sane. You have to have really good character. That's true. I'd probably go insane. It's fine. <laughs> Chapter 15, Darrow, Tyche. Darrow arrives at Tyche to find it drowning. This is not the storm he ordered. Orion has lost the storm on purpose. Mm. How dare she? Darrow pulls out his insurance policy and calls Orion. She confirms the worst. She is turning this bitch up to 11 and there ain't no stopping her. That's terraforming level. That's like literally everyone dies, yeah. including Darrow's army. She level. wants to wipe everyone off the face of the planet. And probably all the planets. <laughs> She's on a murder, murderous rampage. Uh, he tells her to stop, obviously. She refuses. So Darrow pulls the plug. And just like that, we have lost one of the greatest heroes of the Republic. Alex then comes and asks Darrow permission to take his Arcosian knights into the city and help the citizens evacuate. Darrow refuses. He doesn't want Alex to die. Rona shows up next. She tells Darrow they've caught an enemy scout. Darrow has the captured scout brought to him. And finally, some good news. It's our old buddy Screwface. Hey. Where's he been? <laughs> He was carved by Mickey, and he's been undercover in the society for the last three years. Notice how we didn't really hear about him in Iron Gold, because <laughs> yeah. I didn't notice until he came back. And then I was like, oh, that's where he's been. The good news doesn't last long, of course, because this is Dark Age. He tells Darrow that Ajax is going for Heliopolis. If Heliopolis falls, Darrow is completely fucked. He's done with. His army will be trapped, and they will have nowhere to go. Darrow is faced with a choice. He can stay at Tyche and wait for the Morning Star and probably take out Atalanta's legions landing there, but he would have to give up his army in Heliopolis. Or he can save his army. He decides to save his army and head for Heliopolis. He instructs Rona to take her Drakenjaeger and find the Morning Star 
and Callaway and Thraxa. He wants her to tell them to cross the Ladon and use the Morning Star as their stormbreaker, guiding Thraxa and her army to Heliopolis to help a brother out. Rona takes off. Darrow then changes his mind about Alexander. He grants him permission to lend aid to the citizens. And in a very touching moment, he gives Alex his wolf pelt, Aww. basically marking him a howler, mm-hmm. a real howler, an OG. Alex and his knights head to the city to help the remaining citizens evacuate using the grav loop to Heliopolis. Darrow turns back to his army. He must lead them south toward the desert and the battle to decide their fate. Chapter 16, Lysander, Rider of the Storm. (laughs) 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 Oh my God, you sang. I didn't even think of that one. Lysander is not having a great time with this whole war thing, but he's also kind of good at it. It was his attack run on the Storm God that finally took it down. Is the morning after now, and Ajax was supposed to be picking him up with some shuttles, but he hasn't shown up yet. Lysander sees an injured wild sunblood mare getting eaten by some blood flies. Eaten alive. Roan puts it out of its misery, and Lysander takes this moment to conveniently tell us about how all Praetorians are equestrians first. That is what we in the biz here like to call foreshadowing. Oh. Uh-huh. Lysander notices Caladora is off on her own looking out at the desert. Lysander joins her and she tells him to listen. There are machines coming. Draken Jaeger footfalls. Bad news bears. They fly back to the top of the down storm god and join Roan, who has set up a comms tower. Lysander hails Ajax, who basically tells him, Remember that time you left me in the forest when we were kids? Yeah, well, payback is a real bitch. Good luck, sucker. Lysander is faced with a choice. He has enough juice in his suit to fly away to safety, but he would have to abandon his men to do it. Or he can stay and fight and probably die. He chooses to stay and fight. Calendora will too, as will Roan and the Praetorians. Cicero abandons his men and leaves. Lysander attempts to outmaneuver Darrow using his extensive knowledge of Darrow's tactics, but no luck. Darrow outthinks him anyway. Lysander and his group get curb stomped. Calendora loses an arm. Lysander is stuck under another star shell on the ground, and one of the boot thrusters of this star shell is broken, sputtering flames onto Lysander's helmet. It melts away the protective layers of the helmet and then melts something else. Lysander's eye. Don't eat while you read this chapter, (laughs) let me tell you. Wolf howls fade in the distance as Lysander begins to scream. Yeah. This is the first time where I like truly feel bad for Lysander. <laughs> it's, it's tough. Just really sucks. It's like a barbecued eyeball. It's more than barbecued. It's <laughs> melted. <laughs> Chapter 17, Darrow, Heliopolis. Darrow's army, as Pierce coldly says, brushes away some light resistance, <laughs> a.k.a. Lysander and his men. <laughs> <laughs> when I read that chapter, I'm just like, damn, Pierce, that's Every cold. Time it's great. They are making their way to Heliopolis. When they get there, it's bad news. The walls have been breached by Ajax's legions. If they take the city and take down its shields, then they will be able to move in reinforcements. And when Thrax arrives leading the first army, they will walk directly into ruin. Screwface scouts forward to see where they should hit first. Darrow turns to prepare his men, but before he can, they are all attacked by other men with masks on of child's faces. Mm. Who could that be? Oh, yeah, it's the Fear Knight. 
Atlas, ah, Ra. They kill everyone except Darrow and cut him out of his star shell. Five huge obsidians hold Darrow down as Atlas instructs them to castrate him, fuck him, then feed him his cock, and then slit his throat. Which, can I just say, when you have, like, the Reaper, just kill him. Like, yeah. don't, like, waste all this time. This is the Fear Knight equivalent of the bad guy speech. Yeah, it's at like the end just, of the movie. Right. Just, like, <laughs> if you kill him fast, <laughs> yeah. then, then you're done. It's over. Yeah. You don't need to, like, teach him a lesson here. We're just trying to kill him. You can, you can cut his dick off after you've shot him in the head. Yeah. Just <laughs> when you have, the like, the main guy... You don't waste time. Anyways, he learns his lesson, obviously, because as the Obsidians are standing there wasting more time trying to figure out who's going to fuck Daryl first. Very weird part of the book. It's very rapey. <laughs> this is like the rapiest. That was the one like most uncomfortable moment for me. <laughs> With, like unbuckling their belts and stuff. I was just like, this do they is, not have the button that pops too much. their? <laughs> They need the Ajax button. (laughs) They need the Ajax button. (laughs) Anyways, they all start to float upward. It's a gravity shadow cast by the Morning Star. Thraxa and her army have arrived. The Morning Star is casting the shadow, lifting the obsidians, and Darrow and the Fear Knight are all floating off the ground. Darrow takes advantage of this surprise and kills the obsidian captors by, like, pushing off each other and hitting him with his head and basically just headbutt killing him all. Atlas tries to shoot Darrow but misses and he's thrown around by the recoil. And then Thraxus sends a missile his way and the Fear Knight disappears in the explosion. Does he die? I don't think so. <laughs> I thought he died. It seems like he should have died. <laughs> first time I read it. I was like, whoa. Whoa, he didn't die. The arrival of the Morning Star tips the battle for Heliopolis in Darrow's favor, but the society fighters do not give up easily. Darrow crosses from front to front, flying everywhere, doing everything, doing the most to provide his army with support that they desperately need. Finally, they chase off Ajax, who flees like the little bitch he is. Darrow then promptly has a heart attack. And his hand's like bubbling and boiling because he doesn't realize his glove's not on. He's incapacitated. His howlers have to secretly kind of carry him away without anyone knowing that he's basically dying. His army then finishes off the rest of the society fighters while Darrow is out. And then later that night, Thraxa shows up with all the gold enemy standards declaring victory. They have held Heliopolis for now. For now. All right, that's what happened in this week's chapters. Let's talk about the theme that ties them all together. What's this week's theme, Aaron? Bedlam. 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 <laughs> Bedlam. Bedlam. Pierce's favorite word in Dark Age, Bedlam. It was funny because we were sitting here. I was like, what's the word for like, <laughs> shit, 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 shit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're all going to die. <laughs> It's Bedlam. It's Bedlam. That's what it is. Yes. So, as always, we have taken some quotes from this week's chapters to illustrate the theme of Bedlam. Let's start with Lysander. This is just right at the beginning of one of his chapters. He says, It is two hours since breach, and I do not feel sane. My life has disintegrated into a series of fragmented moments of extreme fear and unreal violence. I no longer trust stillness. 
stillness is the enemy taking careful aim. That just illustrates our theme here today. Lysander is totally feeling it at this point. He's like, well, I think he feels it the most because this is his first like crazy real battle. That's that's a good point. Yeah. You know, he's only done like hallway fights before this. He is um, clearly rattled, but he's hanging in there. For now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lysander goes on to say, out there amongst the chalk, coming down the desert flats between the mountain ranges is a storm like those I've only seen in terraforming hollows. It's the end of the world. The sand hits us like a sweeping broom. And all at once, the mission that took a month to plan and half a year to prepare, one that was to be executed by men and women who've made a vocation of war, comes apart with no explanation except that the Reaper is sharing our planet and that my family is a line of paranoid tyrants. That's <laughs> First such of all, a great I line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that line, the... There's no explanation other than the Reaper is on the same planet as us. (laughs) Oh, why is there a terraforming storm? Right. Uh, Probably the Reaper. He's a god. The storm is clearly like the most (laughs) bedlam-y part (laughs) of these chapters. Right. The storm literally, without pulse armor on, the sand like blows you into sand pieces right you become sand yeah i love the dichotomy of like not only like the war parts like where there's the actual battles and like just the bedlam of the battles themselves but also just the absolute chaos this storm is causing at the same time and how those two things kind of work in concert in these chapters is really cool well and it obviously kills a lot of people who are probably innocent but then it also like totally screws up the enemy mm-hmm. transports and is really the only thing that gives Darrow the fighting edge right. and the winning edge in the end yeah. because they can't like organize fast enough. It's a great, not only like just like literal chaos causer that Darrow uses, but it's also just like, like such a great metaphor for Darrow in general, <laughs> like just the storm coming and all of that, you know? Yes, yeah, Darrow is a storm god himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love that part where they're like, he can he can create storms? <laughs> and they're like, I guess he is a god. <laughs> yeah. We should also talk about how Lysander's family, the loons, are the reason that these storm gods even exist. Right. So while the storm is thought up and caused by Darrow, like this is kind of part of Lysander's comeuppance. Like yeah. his family is part of the reason any of this is happening in the first place. So Yeah, that classic loon paranoia that his Octavia especially um had and their protection, like their vice grip on power and fear of the other families, just like they're willing to do anything, including just like hiding these basically planet breakers within the planet. Nobody even the oldest families that have lived on Mercury forever don't even know that they're there. Right. And then <laughs> obviously when the Votum family finds out, they're but they feel betrayed yeah. by um the loons. So now Lysander will have to deal with that in the future. Yeah, as well. so does Ajax too. Like and they he's like, I'm a grimace, bro. Like we're supposed like, to be wh- like cr- close. <laughs> we're supposed to be friends. <laughs> yeah, Ajax is super butthurt and is acting like a 12-year-old. As always. Um, yeah, so our next couple quotes are actually from different chapters, but they play together really well. 
Um, so the first part of this quote, um, which is from Calendora, comes from um, the chapter where Ajax, he's just destroyed that building of civilians using Lysander's targeting data. And um, Calendora says, that's the problem with this war. Cruelty is necessary, yet cruelty is a thermal runway. And then later on at the Storm God, Lysander's, he looks out at the Storm God and he says, I find Calendora at my side. Unlike Serafina, she's not enthralled to the Storm God. Sorrow fills her eyes as she looks up and up. She has seen horror many times before. This is merely its bleakest evolution. Your thermal runway, I say. Oh, I didn't connect those. So yeah, it's working on both sides. Like this creation of um, bedlam and chaos is like, it's happening not only on the gold, it's like nobody's above it in this war at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Darrow's definitely Darrow Darko. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Orion. She's really fucking shit up for us. Yep. So then moving on, more bedlam. The whole thing is bedlam. The whole book is bedlam. <laughs> Darrow is moving to Taiki with his men, and he's kind of getting all reapery on us. Yeah. <laughs> He yells, to Tyche, I bellow. My men pick up the call, and we push through the shattered remains of the division to leave it thrashing in the mud. More landfalls lie ahead. More enemy to kill. More, 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 more. A laughing zeal fills me. I'm coming, Atalantia. I'm coming for your head. (laughs) Think about that, what you just said in that quote there, and then in the context of this quote right here and says, Daryl, arri- this is Daryl arriving at Tyche. He says, now I'm in time to see the city die. As we push through the reeling legions, the storm mutated from friend to wild convulsing savage. So it's yeah. like the storm is like a reflection of Darrow at this yeah. point, you know? They're both raging, <laughs> yeah. rage into the night. <laughs> and it's almost like it doesn't matter who's in their way. Like they're getting <laughs> mowed down at this point. And what we've talked about in previous podcasts in previous books even is that darrow is all momentum Mm -hmm. so once he gets into this stem filled reaper mode where he's just slashing and cutting through everyone Mm -hmm. he he like can't be stopped and he's just mowing through all these legions that have disorientedly landed in the storm he's just cutting them all down as he heads to taiki and then i think that right there what you just said is what makes this next quote so important because this is actually like a turning point for darrow he says i see a spiraling spiritual darkness ensnaring not just me not just the friends whose cruelty i have emboldened but eo's darkening dream did this all begin with betraying the sons of Ares in the rim with the destruction of the ganymede dockyards with my reign over mercury so many concessions in the name of necessity so many horrors in the name of liberty where is the beauty I saw when Ragnar reached for Sepi's hand instead of his blade as he died? Where has our humanity gone? Well, it's not on Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the part when uh, when we're referring to like Daryl has a choice. He can either go after Atalantia and destroy her army, but at the same time basically lose his army and all his friends and, and basically deal like a really tough blow to the society, but... Basically, it's just going to be over for him and all of his uh, followers. Or he can try and save his army, and he makes the choice to save his army. He kind of like almost gets his head back on his shoulders at this point um, from where we've seen him with the more, 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 you know? He finally stops for a second and realizes like how horrible all this shit is. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he's taking a deep breath. Mm-hmm. One moment where we we didn't see this until the end of Iron Gold is where Darrow is choosing to save his army above doing the thing that might like win the war. Right. So he might win the war by killing Atalantia, but he'd probably die himself. And then his whole har- army would be And he would, would sacrifice gone. his entire army in the process. Right. And then the enemies that he doesn't even know are there are still out they there. They would still keep up their fight, for sure. Like the Volsung Fawz and the Abominatrices and even Sefi. Yeah. Like, if Darrow goes down, there's still more bad guys to fill Atalantia's spot. So Right. And I love what you said about the end of Iron Gold, because this is kind of like the end of that choice. This is like kind of the final piece of that choice that he made in iron gold is him coming to this realization right here that I would rather be working to save my army than working just to destroy my enemy. It's kind of like that. Um, the, there's that line in the last Jedi. A lot of people hate it, but it's a great line. It's like, <laughs> we should be, you know, trying to save the things we love, not destroy the things we hate. So it's like, um, that's kind of what's going on here with Darrow. Yep. Yep which is the difference between, you know, the good guys and the bad guys at this point. Well, they're, I mean, <laughs> they're looking close, especially <laughs> with the storm Oh yeah, killing we'll, everybody. We'll get to that as well. Yeah, we've got a quote uh, that pertains to that here. But don't think Daryl's gone soft, though, because he's still able to create a lot of bedlam. And we get this great description from Lysander. Do you want to read that? Yeah, this is like my favorite part of these chapters. And it's probably one of the best parts in the book is when we finally see like an introspective view of the Reaper coming to kill you. (laughs) Like we're always in Darrow's head while he's slashing through everyone. Now we get to see the other side of that from Lysander's point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is when Darrow is batting away some light resistance. (laughs) Lysander uh, is thinking, I pivot in the air to witness slaughter behind me. The world slows as I see him amidst my men. I try to rally the left wing of my men, but it is slaughter. And at the center of it swirls a god of death. As violence reaches for him, Darrow does not flinch like a man. He reaches like a covetous river. He pulls violence to him, drinks it into his current. That Pierce is good. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, this is, of, of course, the first time these two meet, and then they'll meet again with the Sunbloods. I think that's probably my favorite and then again, single description of Darrow ever is that one at the end of the book. Right. Yeah. We have another uh, description from Lysander about Darrow. Mm-hmm. So he's meeting him in battle twice. The second time goes a little better for him. Right. The word bedlam just kind of is married to Darrow. Like, yeah, he in war, he's the one creating like the most chaos. And like right. it says in here, the um, he doesn't flinch. He's just mowing through everyone, and he's like moving faster than everyone right. too. And that also like plays into how he moves around the battlefield. Think about when we get to Heliopolis. Like he's going front to front to front, and we have that great quote from Harnassus where he's like, I talked to every man here and they all said they saw you and there's no way they could see you like like, every single place. (laughs) No, that was me. (laughs) Darrow is like Bedlam personified in these chapters for sure. Um, And then like we were talking about just a second ago, we might have this separation between good and bad, but 
in war, like the the bedlam and the chaos that happens during war can drive people crazy and make them do things that they wouldn't normally do. And so Daryl's thinking about that. He's this is when his army has arrived finally and they're like liberating Heliopolis from Ajax's forces. He says, I cannot stop the bloodshed, nor do I stop my own. Wild and driven mad by the atomic bombardment, the storm and the desert crossing, my men descend the moral ladder to become demons, severed of any creed they once possessed. And they're just like eradicating uh, Ajax's forces with they're like no regard. Everybody. Yeah. So even though we're the good guys, it's like they still are capable of like horrible things. Well, every good guy is someone's bad guy. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have that great quote from the Fear Knight where he's like, You asked, What do I fear? I fear a man who believes in good, or he can excuse any evil. Yeah. Like the storm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All kinds of stuff. Basically, Atlas is like, I don't believe in good. So therefore, I can't excuse pulls up butts. <laughs> That's what he's saying I, here. I don't know what Atlas stands for. I can't say definitively one way or the other. I think he stands for pulls at butts. He does stand for good military tactics or bad military tactics, I guess. Well, you think he's smart, and then he's like, let's take our time with Darrow here and not That's kill true. him. And then you're like, are you good at war? Classic bad guy shit. Classic uh Plot armor shit is what I would say. <laughs> Obviously, Darrow isn't going to die at the beginning of this book. <laughs> Anyways. So, speaking of death, that brings us to our next segment. Who died today? Man, this is a tough week for people dying. Yep. I think we're going to have a lot of these coming up. <laughs> well, this one, uh, there was one very sad one. This was tough. That was Orion. And we didn't even get any time to... Because we were like... We were Darrow, basically, in that situation. He yeah, can't really, stop to mourn her. We're going to flip this switch, feel a little bad, or feel really bad, but really quickly, and then we have to move on. Yeah, because you're just required to move on. The war requires him to move on, and he can't even get a chance to like mourn his like one of his greatest friends and allies. His pirate. Yeah. She didn't even ever get her parrot. Does she not? I don't think so. Where's that parrot, Daryl? <laughs> Better get her a post-mortem parrot. I hope we find out that she did get that parrot one day. I'm sure that <laughs> she can imagine one in the veil. <laughs> and then, uh, obviously, Serafina got shot in half and yes. her intestines spilled out. Extremely surprising at the first time you read this. That was a surprise death of course that was like really put you on notice well then it was like oh incoming yeah no shit calendora <laughs> yeah. the most obvious incoming, incoming. of all time <laughs> that was a few seconds too late lysandras look over like do you see like her no intestines <laughs> no shit incoming and then uh thirdly we have scorpio avodim he was in the titan with the gold rallying to him and alexander Poked him with his razor. Yeah, that was a pretty badass part for Alexander. I love that he's like scaling the Titan. With Darrow. Yeah, and then he like pulls him out and calls him a pixie. He's like, look who's hiding. 
And then, of course, um, lots of enemy men and lots of Darrow's men also die, but we don't know their names. I think Felix might have gotten killed as well, but I don't, that's not confirmed. I don't think. The cat? No. Who's Felix? <laughs> Felix is um, Darrow's like bodyguard gold guy. Oh, okay. From the uh, Dramatis Personae, Felix Audon, bodyguard to Darrow, client of House Augustus, a gold. Nice. So I think he gets killed during the the assault by the Gorgons. Okay. Or he is at least unaccounted for. Yeah, at this point. I will remember <laughs> you. Next up. The Prime Five. Five of our favorite insights and observations from this week's chapters. Prime Five, number one. The Praetorians, the Dragoons, mm. Rhone T. Flavinius. They are equestrians close to my heart. Yeah. They're stocky grays, also cool. Yeah, they're basically like gray bodyguards that previously protected the loons. And then Julia Abalona. Yeah, they got cast into out into the world after the loons supposedly all died or whatever. And then, yeah, they were mostly working for Julia Abalona, Calendora. Like called them up. S- called them up, said, come on down. Lysander's still here. And Julia was like, that's cool. And yeah, she wanted to like reach out and give him a gift. So Peace offering. There's going to be more to hear from, from the crotchety Julia. old bitch herself. I wonder we'll what, how she's going to feel about him like hanging out with Cassius for 10 years. Anyways, the Praetorians and the, the whole legion of dragoons, it's basically like a thousand holidays. Like yeah. they're all that good at fighting and shooting and... It's it's really what makes Lysander into any form of power is that he has all these very loyal greys behind him. And also it's a really bad look for him because it looks like he's kind of starting to gather power to him. Well, he is. Yes. Not on purpose. Yes. But it looks like he's the one doing it, but it's like Calendora that's doing it for him. She obviously, we learn, you know, has some more information that she's going to share with Lysander later on. But Roan seems like a really interesting guy. I want to like him, but he's a bad guy. But he's got like all he's these chill. gold and obsidian tears on Teardrops, his face. Teardrops, super yeah. gangster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like a great marksman. And he's like the most famous gray other than the Nakamuras. Pretty cool. We'll see more from them, I'm sure. Well, a lot of them died, but we'll see more from some of them. <laughs> Okay, that takes us to the next item on the Prime 5 list. Pierce totally references Jurassic Park. (laughs) (laughs) He says that golds and star shells swarm over the Jockenjägers like a pack of velociraptors taking down a Tyrannosaurus, which I think begs the question, has Darrow seen Jurassic Park because velociraptors... (laughs) Aren't they're like turkeys? They're like the size of turkeys, like in real life. Velociraptors aren't that big, and they definitely did not attack Tyrannosaurus Rex. Velociraptors aren't that big. No, they're like turkey size. Then why are they big in Jurassic Park? Because it's a fucking movie. Why would (laughs) that makes me upset? What about like (laughs) the the raptors in Jurassic Park are more based on like it's called like a Utah raptor or something like that. That's like six feet tall. Well, what if Daryl's talking about Utah raptors? This is factually incorrect. That's all I'm saying. And I think it, I think it just means that Daryl's seen Jurassic Park, you know? Or the Golds have created <laughs> Jurassic Park-like 
carved beasts. <laughs> I like and they the, name them Velociraptors. I like my personal headcanon is Daryl's seen Jurassic Park. And he's like, whoa, that reminds me of the end of Jurassic Park. <laughs> they, they call it the ancient films. <laughs> Yeah, maybe he was while he was you know asleep taking those synthetic pills that allowed him it's to like part read of the all history. the books. Exactly, <laughs> he had to watch get some film criticism in there. Why do you know how big velociraptors actually are? Either I mean I'm just into dinosaurs. <laughs> got a dinosaur encyclopedia at home. You know the the usual <laughs> dinosaur encyclopedia. They probably also didn't live at the same time period. There's probably like millions of years between Tyrannosaurus Rex and Velociraptors. Damn. So yeah, like Littlefoot from Land Before Time. What is, about him? Is he? Do you think he's seen Land Before Time too? Like, is he part of the history <laughs> of the Golds? I don't know. It's hard do you, to say. Do you think in the next few chapters, Daryl's gonna be like, just like when Littlefoot's mom dies? <laughs> what a sad movie! Why that are was, all our childhood movies so sad? Like a tough one. Everyone's mom's dying. Shouts to Ducky though; he's the best part of that. Yeah, movie. that's good. Let's watch that. Just <laughs> kidding. I actually recently watched it, and it was terrible. Oh, I'm sure it was. It's like a kid's everything movie. I used to love now sucks. Well, yeah, you're an adult. Oh, okay. <laughs> According to who? <laughs> so yeah, dinosaurs. Anyways, more uh, from Pierce up next on our Prime Five. Take a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierce is a great writer. We have some incredible imagery when Lysander and his group are gazing upon the storm god. The clouds and the sands are swirling with lightning flashing inside. Yeah. It's almost like mystical. Animals are caught up in the gravity engines. Yeah, I saw that where they're like, they're like floating. Did you catch that? Uh-huh. Like, there's like animals like floating through the sky. Yeah, they're fucked. <laughs> um, anyways, just incredible imagery, of mm-hmm. course. And I like that uh, Pierce chose Lysander as his like outlet for almost poetic descriptions because obviously we lost the OG poet. So mm-hmm. now we kind of have a new poet mind in Lysander where he can have these like flowery descriptions and very introspective yeah. feels. I feel like you can tell that Pierce really likes to write that stuff. Also, just speaking of animals on the surface of Mercury, can we talk about hyena dials for a second? Did you catch that, that no. reference as well? <laughs> a what? A hyena dial. Is that a pedophile hyena? I'm assuming it's a cross between a hyena Crocodile. Mm, that's that makes <laughs> I don't more think sense. It's a <laughs> that makes more fit. Not a hyena that's into little boys. I know? don't know. <laughs> hey, there was a rapey part. Golds are yeah, they're making up some weird carved animals, but hyena crocodile. It's pretty wild. Just I can't even out in the desert. I was having a hard time seeing that one in my mind's eye. In your mind's eye. My brain hole. Your brain hole. So would like the the front half be yeah, that's, yeah, like which part is which? I would assume it's got a hyena head and hyena a, legs. A cro- crocodile-ish body. No, well, don't you want longer legs? Let's give it hyena legs, but like scales and a long tail. But a crocodile and, mouth. And kind of a hyena face. And little ears? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> if anybody wants to draw one of our great Red Rising artist out there wants to draw a dial. I'd be really interested to see what you come up with. And that's a crocodile, not a pedophile. <laughs> Let's be. It's just a hyena that's like 
<laughs> hey, you want some candy? Oh, God, that's awful. <laughs> All right, that takes us to Prime 5, number four. Let's talk about Lysander. We always got to have a, a Lysander Prime 5. Um, Do we? <laughs> I'm going to force Lysander conversation throughout all of Dark Age just because everybody hates him so much. Well, we hate him. Yeah. I mean, I hate him too, but I want to understand him. Okay. So there's just a turning point in these chapters, like a very important turning point, and it comes at that moment we were just talking about with the Storm God and all of that. He's basically like, Darrow is no longer a good man, and that's basically when he's like, there's no hope left at this point, whoever I thought Darrow was. Isn't he's not that person, he's a bad person that's gonna commit genocide on this entire planet. And he kind of like locks in on the fact that he needs to destroy Darrow. So, yeah, Lysander obviously says he doesn't want to be a king, then he gets all these Praetorians. Then, even though he's never liked Darrow because Darrow obviously killed his whole family and Aja, and he did like weirdly admire him still. Well, so Darrow was his favorite in the Institute, mm-hmm. but then I think when Darrow killed Aja and his grandma, then he obviously didn't admire him We did anymore. see that in Iron Gold where he's just like seeding hatred for Darrow, basically. Yeah. yeah. So then this is just him now. He had that admiration as a child for Darrow in the Institute, and now he's coming to the realization that like Darrow is evil. Mm-hmm. Like he clearly isn't a shepherd to the low colors because he's wiping them out with the storm. So yeah, this really is this point. is him kind of having those further thoughts of hating Darrow. Yeah, that's a really good really good point. And also for all those people out there, this is another Lysander point. Lysander bullet point. He said like you know, Lysander's not a good fighter. Just for the record, he did take down the storm god. He was the guy. But also, for the record, he had a thousand Praetorians also helping. But they died in the process. But, Not all of them. But. but the only reason he took down the Storm God is because he lost contact with the comm, so he didn't realize everyone wasn't like pushing forward behind him. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> so he accidentally did the best thing. He still gets credit for it. Yeah. I still don't, I'm still not like, he's a great fighter. I'm just saying, like, he's a competent fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he studied enough fights, and now that he's been fighting in war, he's, like, slowly getting better at focusing amongst the bedlam. So, last up on our Prime 5, we welcome back an old friend, Screwface. Rona loves Screwface almost as much as she loves Freehealed. Yeah, so we get a Freehealed mention here. And Freehealed, if you remember, is the Obsidian whore. <laughs> That's pretty rude. <laughs> Sefi's mate, Freehealed, is cheating on Sefi. Sorry, Sefi's mate, Valdir, is cheating on Sefi with Freehealed, yeah. who's a really great Obsidian fighter right. and is legendary. So, but, I mean, he can't, also can't touch Sefi. She's got an infectious disease. So that's her own fault. Oh, so if you, <laughs> if your wife gets a disease, then you're allowed to start sleeping with other women? That I can't touch her? Yeah. Like, till <laughs> death do us part. And they're not husband and well, wife. Well, but the, the females are in power, so he's, like, her concubine for life. And clearly he's not supposed to be fucking free healed. It's like a huge Well, Sefi should let him go. It's a huge 
huge issue. <laughs> Steffi should, you know, she should let him do his thing. Well, everyone's about to die, so it won't matter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Anyways, so we see Screwface come back in that moment. Rona uh, mentions Freehild free as uh, someone she's a fan of, and she loves Screwface almost as much as that. And mm-hmm. she's like in awe of one of the OG Howlers coming yeah. back. Not only is Rona in awe of Screwface, but also Alexander. Um, there's a couple really cool moments between uh, Alexander and Screwface here. Most especially, we get that like emotional moment where Alexander is like pleading to go down to save the residents of Tyche. And by the way, that is just killer when Daryl's like giving him the wolf pelt. Oh, I teared up. So much. Like real tears. <laughs> Not like Ragnar tears, but like, you know, like... That's deep tears. Did you think you were going to see Alexander again after that? Um, you know, once I got the feel of what Pierce was doing in Dark Age, I never thought I would see anyone ever again. That's kind of the way I felt. Uh, I thought there was a chance we might see him again. I was like really holding out hope just because I loved Alexander so much. Well, I was thinking maybe he could like save everyone and be the new hero. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I wanted from him. I was just really hoping, hoping beyond all hope that he would come back, and he did, and then, then he gets it again, which is almost worse. I would have almost like preferred just to never see him again. <laughs> yeah, he can die a hero and not like be killed by a little bitch. <laughs> but that leads to this great interaction between Screwface and Alex when uh, basically Darrow gives him the wolf cloak and then he's about to whip out the razor and give him the peerless scar and i love alex is like i know what i am (laughs) (laughs) and so he doesn't he doesn't do the scar and then um he welcomes him to the howlers basically and screw face like spits in his face (laughs) well he gives him a little taste of initiation (laughs) yeah without the box yeah no box and no bucket but spits in his face and says welcome so that's pretty awesome and then uh, I think the best Screwface moment in these chapters is definitely after Darrow's heart attack. His multiple heart attacks, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that's when Harnassus is like, well, I'm in command now, gold. Uh, Darrow needs, and then Screwface just cuts him off. And he says, unless you've got a cloak, he ain't your pack. He's been mine since I was 16. You've got a battle to finish, sir. And then <laughs> Arnassus does the classic, like... Point in your face. Yeah, he shakes his finger at Screwface, and he says, get him inside somewhere and keep that man alive. Screwface <laughs>, laughs, and he just goes, man, hick-ass lupus, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> He's all hopped up on the battle and adrenaline. Hick-ass lupus, motherfucker. <laughs> That's just so great. I mean... We need to start using more Latin in our general day-to-day. Yeah, you're right. I need to learn more, first of all. <laughs> I think we've got enough. You know, we're going to just start saying, you know, somebody's like, These I'm phrases. having a tough day. And she's like, Paraspera ad astra. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to get to the stars, bro. <laughs> Have you heard? Nice. Screwface came back with a bang. So we have a question. Why didn't... Screwface warned them about Atalantia's initial attack on Mercury right. when Orion like lost half her fleet. 
Yeah, it's like Darrow thinks this at, at one point once Screwface comes back. And for some unknown reason, this goes along with the tongueless thing where it's just like we didn't have tongueless write down any answers. She's like, why <laughs> don't we fucking ask Screwface what happened? Let's let's ask. Let's him. just take two minutes and just be like, what's going on? What happened with that? Like, hey, I know we're all dying here. <laughs> we need to move. But maybe while we're on the move. <laughs> Yeah. Like we have some time to talk. Exactly. We were hanging out on those Drakenjaegers forever. Maybe just be like, hey, I couldn't blow my cover because they were watching me. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think that he just didn't know about it? Do you think that maybe he's turned? No, he's not turned. I don't think he has either. Um, he does I, like lose a leg at the end of the book. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember. Fighting. It's, lots of people lose a lot of things. <laughs> People lose things all the time. Intestines. <laughs> eyeballs. <laughs> I don't know. I think part of it probably is plot driven. So like if S- Screw had warned them, we wouldn't be here. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Probably the easiest explanation. <laughs> but if we're actually like thinking what was going on with Screwface, I'm sure like there was a reason Maybe I'm wondering if he was suspicious that maybe they found him out, you know, like that he's a mole. Or maybe they he didn't know that they were going to attack Mercury. Right. Like I mean, maybe he wasn't privy to like the inner commands. Yeah, but he was like close said he's like Fulminata, which is like the secret service of Atalantia or whatever. And he burns his cover to come to Darrow. To tell, tell him about Heliopolis. Tell him about Heliopolis. So that's a pretty big deal. But the maybe he just couldn't communicate with Darrow or something. It's, it's just an interesting question. We definitely hope we get an answer there. Yeah, we deserve an answer. <laughs> Unlike Tongueless. <laughs> Screwface I will probably still, get cut into four pieces before we ever find out. <laughs> I still deserve an answer <laughs> about Tongueless. Oh, we're still waiting for a letter from Tongueless just with any we, kind of an explanation. We find it in like... A jewelry box. That would be great. He's just like, hey, by the way, <laughs> this is who I am. I'm Ragnar's brother. Um, okay, now that we've finished our Prime 5, it's time to name our Primus of the Week, where we choose the one character who conquered our Proctors of Plot and rose above the rest. Our Primus of the Week is... Darrow. Darrow. Finally a good guy. We got Darrow. Well, is he a good guy still? We don't know. He's he's a, g- he's a good guy to me. He's a gooder guy than the bad guys. Yeah. Uh, so Daryl wins because he turns into a war god again. Saves holding, Heliopolis. He saves Heliopolis. Well, Thrax kind of does that, but Darrow <laughs> helps. <laughs> and uh, he also like stays standing during his heart attack and hand melty moment, and uh, keeps his men rallied, even though he's like legit dying at the end. So. Good job, Darrow. You survived. You didn't lose any limbs or your eyeball. Barely survived. You're still alive, even though your armor is like melted into the holes in your body. Yeah. Our loser of the week is Lysander's eyeball. (laughs) Or Serafina. (laughs) Or Serafina's, yeah, her intestines being on the outside of her body. You know. Also bad. That takes us to our newest segment, the Howler voicemail. You can leave a voicemail. By calling 1-800-516-1540. If you have a comment, 
a question. If you want to talk about melty eyeballs. Call in. Leave a message. Today's message is from our friend, High Lady of the Howlers. Hello, Howlers. This is High Lady of the Howlers calling in to say fuck Lysander. But also, um, I had a very pressing question that I have kind of been harboring for several years and I've asked Pierce multiple times, but obviously he's a busy man doing cool author things. And so um, he's never noticed a lowly peasant like myself. So my question is, what language do you think that they speak in the Red Rising universe? I know they refer to it as common a few times, but, or that only is a new development in Dark Age, I believe. But in Morningstar, when Darrow is in the box, he mentions that he is, you know, reciting the Odyssey in the dead languages of, you know, Mandarin and Hindi and Arabic and English and such. But then also, I remember they were talking about how Bloody Dan is a direct root of the Irish language and Irish culture, and obviously that's um, English. So what do you think the language is a derivative of, similar to, or do you think it's just a completely new language they've made up on their own? Love to hear your thoughts. Thank you, High Lady of the Howlers, for that great question. Thanks for gracing us, High Lady (laughs) of thine howlers. you know, I've never actually really thought about this. But I know, like, Nagal is from, like, ancient Norse language and religion, right? Mm-hmm. Or That's the language, language that the Obsidians speak. Right. And then, um, like she said, when he's learning, there's Mandarin and other languages. So I think the language is just, like a new language that is derived of all the like main languages that we currently have on the planet. Yeah, I would agree. I bet it's like a, I would say it's like a gobbledygook of all the, <laughs> <laughs> the human languages on planet earth. You know, they've just kind of formed together. Like we all have words that are from other languages already and like English and, you know, Spanish, the same way they take like English words and make them, into Spanish words, that type of thing. So it's just like kind of a melting pot of everything together. And then obviously they like to speak Latin. Mm. So mm-hmm. they still kept Latin as Latin yeah. to be like snobs. Right. But other than that, I think the the high lingo sounds a lot like what the low colors language is, but they're still different enough to like distinguish from each other. So... I think there's probably not one language, just like we don't have one language, mm-hmm. but they all kind of came from the current languages. I would agree. That sounds good. We're yeah. so smart and we know so much. That was extremely <laughs> scholarly on our behalf, I think. <laughs> yep. That's a great question, Hi Lady. You know, I just assumed they spoke English because that's what I was listening to the book in. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, in... Spain, they assume that they're speaking Spanish and 
so on and so forth. So last week, uh, we asked people to leave us their review of Rise of Skywalker. So if you still have not seen the movie, skip forward about a minute and a half or whatever, or just stop listening, um, because we have a review of Rise of Skywalker from High Lady of the Howlers. Hello, Howler Pod. This is Kat, a.k.a. High Lady of the Howlers, calling in from Houston, Texas, to give you my Rise of Skywalker review. Um, I've seen it twice now. The first time I saw it, I was... I had mixed feelings about it. Um, I thought it was a really cool movie. The action was, you know, fucking cool. And um, I liked how fast-paced it was from the very beginning. And, you know, Kylo Ren is badass. And, you know, I love the Ray-Kylo connection. But um, I was kind of weirded out by the whole Emperor thing and the whole Sith dark science thing. And the emperor just hanging there on his little robot arm, like, I don't know. Anyway, and um, it just it just weirded me out because I I don't know. I was I was expecting it to go in a very different direction, and um, what they did there, and you know the whole race Palpatine thing, I was I was just kind of disappointed because I remember that theory floating around couple of years ago and me just being like what the fuck you're wrong why would you think that and then it's and then it's canon and again that kind of brings me back to like what Ben said you know um it it, it seems like a Star Wars took the fans theories and stuff and made them into a movie um I did um I did like again some of the action I liked the places they went you know, we got to see a lot of cool planets that we've never seen before. Um, and they didn't have the obligatory super cold planet. Um, you know, we got that last movie in, in the movie before. So um, the thing I, I, I enjoyed, you know, kind of, kind of limited, especially the second time I watched it. But I did, I did really enjoy the, you know, Raylo becoming canon for 20 seconds. And then after that, it was just disappointment, and I, I really I did not like the ending. And I was expecting at least for, you know, Ben's Force Ben's Ghost to be there at the end, and then it wasn't. And it, it just, it was like a, it was like a wet fart, you know? It was, it was just, it was not pleasant, and I, I didn't, I didn't like that, because it seems like it was completely pointless to show that, then became a force ghost, you know, his body appeared and shit. But um yeah, that's that's my review. Um how on Thanks, hi lady. So Ben, it sounds like her opinions align. Yeah, she's right about everything. With yours. <laughs> <laughs> um so smart lady. Hi lady. So thank you. Uh <laughs> If anyone else wants to talk about Star Wars or any other movies or you know what I want to talk about? The Witcher, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Aaron is horny for some Witcher. <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point down the line. Um, yes, so thank you for your voicemails. You know what it's time for? What are we into this week? I'll go first. This week I'm into a movie. It's called Uncut Gems. Oh, with Adam Sandler? Yes, it's Adam Sandler in a serious role. 
and he's fantastic. Really? I haven't seen it. Tell me about it. He plays like a Diamond District um, sports gambler guy. Sleazeball, basically. And it's just a, a very thrilling movie. You're on the edge of your seat the entire time. And it's just like one of those things that just like ratchets up the tension with each scene. It just like gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so he's like a rabid sports gambler. He'll owe money to somebody. He'll take it from another person to pay them and then take money from somebody else to make a sports bet. It's never a good idea. And it's just, uh, it's great. And uh, it all culminates in a, an amazing ending. And um, Adam Sandler, really, really impressive. That's my, my Uncut Gems review. Go see it. Don't they make his teeth like silver? No, I think he had regular teeth. He had a lot of jewelry on, though. And he talked with like a weird accent. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. I saw the preview. Mm -hmm. Cool. I'll have to see it. Uncut Gems. Um, I'm also into a movie this week. It's called Ad Astra. It's from the year 2019. (laughs) Ad Astra per Aspra? Just Ad Astra. Mm -hmm. Um, What's his butt? Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. (laughs) I almost said Matt Damon. (laughs) Which one is it? (laughs) <laughs> ben Affleck. No, Brad Pitt is the leading man and it's a movie about space and it's also like a very human story. It's very introspective. It's father and son. Father and son relationship. Mm-hmm. And then um there's just like a ton of cool imagery in space. We got, we have like cool scenes on Mars, but this is like pre-Red Rising Mars. Yep. We have not terraformed. Yep. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in the movie. So he moved on from Men in Black to continue his space explorations. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I've seen it twice now. I would recommend um, not watching it late at night because it is a very like ethereal. Kind of slow. Slow movie, but not in a bad way or anyway. I kept it kept my attention the whole time because I fucking love space. But for those of you or your family members who might not be as enthralled by space, they will fall asleep. I've seen it twice now, and both groups of people I watched it with all <laughs> fell asleep except for me. I need to find better. I'm not sure that's a great review. <laughs> I need to find better space fans. I was like fully awake the There's whole time. There's some great 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 like near future space stuff where it's like commercial flights to the moon and like we're traveling to mars yeah sign me up and like you said i just want to like reiterate an airport yeah. on the moon where you land in reiterate that there is some fantastic imagery in this movie it's like one of the best parts great use of light for like film nerds out there um this director is great his name is james gray you uh want to see more of his movies lost city of z is another really good one of his oh. and yeah i loved it too it's a great movie and i watched it on amazon mm-hmm. on the tv so uncut gems and ad astra all right what's coming up next on howler pod we are starting part two with a little friend i like to call mustang oh my gosh so exciting Part two, Croft. <laughs> Chapters 18 to 24. Extremely exciting stuff. I'm very pumped to get some Mustang into our lives again. Mustang. Don't forget to follow us. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. That's at HowlerPod, H-O-W-L-E-R-P-O-D. Check us out on the Etsy store for some merch, for some gifts for your friends. 
or for yourself, email us for Howler Q&A at HowlerPod at gmail.com. That is HowlerPod at gmail.com. Also, if you're on the website, you can leave us a message at the bottom of that page. Don't forget to leave a voicemail at 1-800-516-1540. Ask a question. Do whatever you want. Talk to us. Let's hear your voice on the podcast. Fine. The, the voicemails are starting to roll in, and it's cool. Aaron and I, every time we're just like giddy, we get a voicemail. So keep sending those voicemails in. Yeah, make our day. Send a voicemail. Just be like, "What's up?" And then like, <laughs> you don't you don't even have to say anything. Just like say hi. Uh, definitely tell a friend about the podcast and about Red Rising. Give your friends book one. Or not friends, just leave it somewhere and someone will find it and it'll change their life. There's a great video on uh, YouTube from Dustin at Dragon Army Books. Uh, He also has a lot of other great book reviews on his YouTube channel. Um, But I thought it was a really great one that plugs Red Rising Book 1. And it doesn't give away any obvious spoilers. So it'd be a good one to share. It's on our Facebook page. It's on our Facebook page and on our Twitter page as well. You can find it there too and don't forget five stars only rate and review if you don't give us five stars only guess what we will melt your eyeball oh yeah just one yep with so a boot that you thruster. can see how weird you look <laughs> only one all right thanks alice omnisphere lupus oh!